0: With all these lows, Australians, we're a robust people and I think with a she'll be right attitude, we've really picked ourselves up and quickly looked to new ways of doing business and innovative ideas for supporting uh, our members and our members who kept their doors open despite immense challenges to be there for their patients. So hence, I think there are lots of highs that happened as well.
1: Welcome to the Pharmacy Business and Career Network podcast brought to you by the Pharmacy Guild of Australia focusing on pharmacy management and ownership. The PBCN Podcast supports the improvement and growth of your business performance with insights and advice from a range of industry professionals. The PBCN Podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way.
2: Hi everyone and welcome to the end of the year and the last show of 2020, but one which is the first half of the two part look back at the best parts from each of our wonderful guests during the year. We've had some fantastic guests on the show who have shared some amazing stories, experiences, insights, and advice with us. And I know we are all truly grateful that they found some time in their busy schedules to come on the show. And of course, it has happened all on the backdrop of a global pandemic, but also natural disasters nationally. The resilience, ingenuity, steadfastness, and community-minded professionalism shown by the entire pharmacy sector has been nothing short of extraordinary. As such, to help try and put it all into perspective, we welcome two senior leaders from the Guild to kick off both of our best of 2020 shows. While Colin Maguire, Group Executive Member Services and Innovation, will join us in the next episode. In this show, Suzanne Greenwood, Guild Executive Director, that's the voice you heard at the start of the show, she joins us to provide her take on 2020 and the outlook for 2021. As for the rest of the show, well, with each show this year kicking off with a short snippet from a guest, an interesting part of the conversation for you to look forward to, we've gone back through the episodes and pulled out the full question and answer for you from each of those interesting opening snippets and pulled them together into two best of episodes. As such, you can expect two shows full of short and sharp advice from each of our guests as we look back at 26 shows, those being episodes 38 to 63 and we will cover that off in two lots of 13. To kick off this volume of the Best Bits of 2020, I welcome Suzanne Greenwood, Pharmacy Guild of Australia Executive Director. Here's Suzanne. Suzanne, thanks very much for joining us on the show today. Firstly, a huge congratulations on what's been a monumental year for the Guild. The heart and soul of community pharmacy has certainly been on full display throughout this tough year. Can you give us a little bit of a recap on some of the highs and some of the lows that you see for the Guild and Community Pharmacy in 2020?
0: We really started the year, I suppose, with some lows, the, the bushfires ravaging Australia and, and obviously COVID-19. You know, I, I actually remember back in March when uh, the decision was made to cancel APP this year and I had gathered all our National Secretariat staff into the boardroom to tell them and and it was really quite a surreal experience for all of us that this this thing was happening that was, was just decimating everyone's plans and, and uh, things and, and, you know, we really saw then some small pockets of pretty poor behaviour too percolating up in pharmacies across the country where patients who were obviously feeling extremely raw, extremely vulnerable were, were taking that out on, on pharmacists and so those few cases of abuse in pharmacy the same time as the pharmacist just having extreme fatigue. But these challenges have really seen pharmacists and their staff go to some amazing lengths to help patients in their communities. And they've faced increased workloads and the need to sort of rapidly adapt their systems and workflows to to address uh, the issues that were stemming from things like panic buying of, of medicines, medicine shortages, you know, it wasn't just toilet paper, you know. The uh, social distancing requirement, that required a whole lot of different fit out for pharmacies and things. You know, I remember the first phone call about, do we get perspex screens in? You know, And again, that's felt so surreal, whereas now that sort of thing's become commonplace. Even my hairdresser has got perspex screens between the wash basins. But, you know, all those sort of physical restriction measures, the heightened infection control procedures, the need for protective equipment. The high demand for flu vaccines, of course, at the same time, and so terrific. Uh, we've had a really good flu season this year. I think people, you know, learnt some important lessons about hand hygiene and all that sort of stuff. With all these lows, Australians we're a robust people, and I think with a, with a shall be right attitude, we've really picked ourselves up and quickly looked to new ways of doing business and, and innovative ideas for supporting uh, our members and. You know, members who kept their doors open despite immense challenges to be there for their patients. So, hence, I think there are lots of highs that happened as well. APP still, in the end, went ahead, but as an online virtual event and was a great success. Um, negotiations and meetings for the 7th CPA, the 7th Community Pharmacy Agreement, they were able to still continue. They probably got even more intense through that period. And, and you know, all up, we had over 170 meetings uh, with the department alone as part of those negotiations. But, yeah, we had to switch to going uh, to to Teams meetings and Zoom meetings and all the rest of it. And, but it still worked its way through. And things like um, Pharmacy of the Year, you know, that still happened. And um, congrats, obviously, to Capital Chemistism, which was the overall winner, um, and uh, I'll do a quick plug too for the category winners. The excellence in professional innovation was Wizard Pharmacy, Kalgoorlie Central. Uh, the excellence in community engagement was Wheatbelt Health Centre Pharmacy. And uh, Capital Chemist Chisholm, the category that they won to go on to win the ultimate, was excellence in business management. So look, that award couldn't be presented in front of the thousands of members as it usually happens at APP, which is you know a great celebration in, in front of your peers and a great accolade. But what did happen, and I was able to be there, was a presentation event that was held at the pharmacy with everyone there, including patients of the pharmacy that were there and colleagues from other capital chemists in the territory that came across to the pharmacy for the presentation and members of the public because they had cupcakes and tea and coffee and everything on offer on the footpath outside the pharmacy. And so, you know what? Maybe that's what community pharmacy is all about, that our Pharmacy of the Year winner is not happening at some illustrious big event, but is actually happening in the community. And I think this year, though, we we also saw things like QCPP also really went from strength to strength this year. Due to COVID, QCPP really had to develop a, a, a remote assessment model for the QC 2020 program. And Initially, I think we all really just envisaged that that delivery of remote assessments against QC2020 was really going to be developed as a contingency plan about COVID. But really, what's happened is sort of given the sort of, I suppose, the ongoing status and nature of the pandemic, QCPP has really determined that the remote assessment model is going to be the preferred primary delivery model for assessments under the QC 2020 program. And and it'll also be the on-site model that'll be the contingency. So, So look, that was all officially launched on the 1st of October with the assessments commencing remotely from the 2nd of November. And I think it's a great sign of the QCPP team, you know, really undertaking some activities to really support the members in that. So things like the remote preparation webinars, they've set up portal sessions with the branches and and lots of ongoing engagement with the members and pharmacy groups to support that change and and so you know this has really been a huge body of work for the QCPP team and it is going to be a significant improvement for the program and for the pharmacy sector. So yeah, there's been some lows this year, but some pretty big highs as well, which is terrific.
2: And all backed by that robust and can-do attitude that you mentioned. So as we look back on 2020, it's hard to identify any aspects of our lives that haven't been influenced by the COVID-19 pandemic, how has the Guild responded to the issues and the challenges that have really reshaped not just community pharmacy?
0: Look, we could probably talk about that topic alone for hours, but I guess to highlight pharmacy, whilst others in the healthcare sector were able to retreat to their lounge chairs and offer telehealth, it was actually pharmacy that was staying open and meeting with patients. It was Pharmacists who were being asked to take people's observations to do blood pressure tests, temperature checks, weight tests, hearing tests, the list goes on and on. So I think that willingness of pharmacy to remain as as the most easily accessible health professionals out there at a time when you know there were a lot of unknowns. Were they putting themselves at risk or their staff at, at, at risk? Um, and it also, I suppose, created some new challenges for the guild. We're obviously very adept at supporting our members in in their every want and need. But things like JobKeeper, things like talking about rental relief measures, maybe for for a particular commercial lease, where if they were located in an in an airport or in the Melbourne CBD, you know, obviously they had some pretty significant business challenges there, and a lot of workplace health and safety issues and things that came up, and. But look, I think out of all this, there really are some great opportunities, I think, for Australia, actually, to take some key learnings from this time and to see if they can be rolled out as permanent. And particularly, I think we've got some things that we could be putting in place to really support uh, rural and remote Australia with what's come out of of this. So looking to pharmacy, probably the biggest uh, massive change that's on our horizon out of all this is the government currently rolling out electronic prescriptions. So the Guild team has really been working tirelessly, I suppose, to support our members to be ready for electronic um, prescriptions. The the government kind of had a, a, a very um, rapid process of rollout that they first envisaged, I think, without really thinking about the ability of a pharmacy sector that was already under stress and strain from COVID to pick up something that was really going to be the most massive change to pharmacy practice that's happened in a decade, sort of thing. So, so we were able to talk the government back to firstly introducing communities of interest to to roll out the eScripts and and then we've been working quite closely with them. The government's vision was around the token model of eScripts, whereas we've really kind of, I suppose, educated them now on on uh, the benefits of also the active script list model, particularly for when a patient is on. Uh, multiple medications. So uh, that's the current priority is for bringing through the uh, active script lists uh, as well. So, you know, I could talk at quite some length about the changes and the challenges and, and how the sectors responded. But if I had to sum up how pharmacy has responded to the significant challenges this year, I would just say brilliantly you know, we heard so many stories at the start of the year of pharmacists in areas where, say, bushfires were maybe cutting off communities. And, and we had heard stories of pharmacists jumping on jet skis to go <laughs> and deliver medications, you know, but, uh, to, to kind of our households and things that were cut off. And I heard many a story of medication packs and things being, being packed by gas camp light because electricity had gone out in the town with the fires and things like that. So, just remarkable the response that uh, community pharmacy has has done this year to support all Australians. It's just fantastic.
2: I'd agree. Brilliantly is a great descriptor. You alluded to some things that have been rolled out that may become permanent, and of course, you just spoke about electronic prescriptions. There's a lot to look forward to for the future of community pharmacy, and I'm sure our listeners are excited to know what's on the horizon for the Pharmacy Guild in 2021. Some
0: things might look a little different into the future. Our elections are actually currently underway, so we're going to have a new National Council in place from about March 2021, uh, and that means a new president. Uh, George Tambasas has been our president for over seven years, and I'm sure George would say it's been a remarkable journey for him in, in that role but he has not put his hand up to be re-elected as president. So we will have a change. And so that's always exciting to see the visions that can come through from a new president and a new national council. Obviously there'll be some on the National Council that will be continuing on, but there'll also be some new blood and certainly also at branch committee level. So that's always exciting to see what their priorities and, and, and their sort of visions are, I suppose, for for pharmacy moving into the future. Pharmacy of the Year, as I mentioned uh, before, this year you know has had to be a bit of a different process. So we're actually going to move from the traditional process for 2021 where the pharmacies either self-nominate or are nominated by the branches or the QCPP assessors. So Rather than that judging process, which includes visiting the finalist pharmacies and all that sort of thing, this coming year, the award's really going to showcase the community pharmacy network, all that community pharmacies have done and continue to do really during these these challenging times. So the format's going to be inclusive of the whole profession, and it's going to allow the 2021 Pharmacy of the Year Awards to be seen as a a year of reflection and celebration of all that community pharmacy uh, and their contribution to the health of all Australians is really will be a chance to highlight these responses to the bushfires and and covid nineteen and the adaptations and transformations and things that have happened there. So so yes, so it's going to be a new format. There'll be no application processes for pharmacy of the year. Instead the guild will be working very closely with our members and the community to to really gather those stories from the coalface. So so I really look forward to to seeing what that's going to show up for next year. Look, though, core work for the Guild on industrial relations matters, government relations, uh, political advocacy, will really all continue at, at, at strength. We have key issues to prosecute, and 2021 will be no different. And obviously, there'll be some learnings from this year, though, that we'll bring forward there. So we really will be continuing to diligently hammer issues like, you know, continuous dispensing being made permanent and pharmacists being allowed to work to their full scope of practice and and hey what's the role of community pharmacies going to be in vaccinating the australian public and particularly with the covid-19 vaccinations you know we're doing a lot of work with the government on that at the moment and e prescriptions of course that's really been a big issue through 2020 but one that we've really not had a lot of oxygen probably for some members to to focus on so so that's something we'll have to really continue support for our members through next year. And looks, there's some events obviously that'll be coming back in twenty twenty one like like APP and uh, our annual parliamentary dinner and some great events at the branches too. there's uh, the Tasmanian branch has got a conference happening in February, so I'm very much hoping hoping that we'd get no border changes uh, by then because it'll be fantastic to to visit the members there. So, And look, really, that's about it being great to get the members out and about again and meeting each other and being able to share their stories with each other and share the accounts of how they address the challenges this year, because it's really been a bit of a personal priority of mine since coming into this role to build and grow the collegiality of the pharmacy profession. I think because largely where members are running small businesses and sometimes in isolated locations or or even seeing themselves in competition to the the, the pharmacy down the road. I can see that as a profession, we do need to do some work around supporting their almost self-awareness as a profession. That collegiality that occurs between professionals to be that rising tide that floats all boats for the pharmacy sector. You know, we've really, I think, shown our true colours in 2020, and so I think 2021 will be an opportunity to to capture that, grow that, celebrate that, and everything in between. Daniel.
2: Suzanne, so many great things from the community pharmacy sector and the Guild in 2020. Thanks so much for joining us. And we all look forward to more great work in 2021 for Guild members.
0: Absolute pleasure. And I'm, I'm really excited about what Guild members are going to do in 2021
2: as well. Moving on now to our guests in episode 38, we welcomed Nikki Mackey to discuss how to thrive in a multi-generational workplace. Seems a bit of a silly question now look at it again on my list of questions here just to boil this down but I'm going to ask it anyway just to really focus the listeners but what is the one skill that you think leaders need and really sits at the center of connecting with their team and helping them be successful?
3: Really it's about being intuitive through communication and you know Often people say to me, you can't teach intuition. Yeah, you know what? You can teach intuition. And the reason you can teach it is because if you really think about it, what does intuition mean? Intuition is taking the time to understand what people's goals are, what their generation or their life has created as their expectations, and understand what makes them walk out the door at the end of the day saying, that was a great day. That's all it is.
2: John Briggs spoke to us in episode 39 around the question, reconciliation, what does it have to do with me? You mentioned you were looking forward to discussing the role pharmacists can play in closing the gap. So let's now move into that a little bit. Why are pharmacists and community pharmacies in particular important in helping to close the gap? And Are there any special roles that they can play or or maybe fill which other health professionals maybe can't?
4: So, there's two prongs to that question, Daniel. Uh, The first one is that pharmacists, particularly community pharmacists, play a significant role in encouraging people who have uh, uh, challenges with their health and maybe have multiple prescription medications that maintain their health status and hopefully increase their longevity and life expectancy. Obviously, a community pharmacist has a huge role to play in the engagement of the continuity of the prescription medication being taken and engaged by an Indigenous client or patient, um, which Back to the second point of that question means that that really is specifically a role for pharmacists. Obviously, doctors play a, a, a role in the referral by by prescribing medication, but ultimately it's the pharmacist that, uh, that executes the outcome of the prescription and has the ongoing relationship obligations and responsibilities to maximise the opportunities that are being offered under closing the gap, of which... Uh, The pharmacist also uh, acknowledges um, on the prescription what they call CTG in capital letters, which is acknowledging that the Indigenous patient is entitled to a a discount of the medication under the incentive of closing the gap. Um, And that offers people the incentive, particularly in remote and rural communities who may not have a substantial relationship with their, their local pharmacists for Uh, many historical reasons um, of
2: which we'll open up on another podcast, but it really is. a In episode 40, yours truly Daniel Oyston walked through 11 pieces of marketing advice for your pharmacy. Number three, focus on building your database. When you build a database, people are literally giving you permission to market to them, but it's your job to treat that with the absolute respect that it deserves. Your database should be at the center point or the axis of all your marketing efforts. At the top, you should be executing tactics that help engage your audience and then convert them onto your database. And then from there, they are literally giving you permission to market to them. As I said, your utmost job, however, is to treat that permission with respect. Not least because they'll just unsubscribe if you only try and sell to them. The only things that you send them in the email are sales messages that help you. If you manage your database properly, you can provide valuable content that focuses on marketing through teaching and demonstrates your expertise as a professional. That will build trust with your audience, and when they are ready to buy, they'll be more receptive to those specific sales messages because you haven't abused their permission along the way. The reason that building your database is so important is because it gives you the ability to contact your audience directly, and usually more cheaply, because they provide their email, maybe their mobile number, and probably their postal address. Any other channel like social media, TV, radio, etc., you are simply renting an audience because just because somebody hears your ad on the radio, you can't contact them directly. You have no ownership of that engagement. So two great ways to build your database are you can gate valuable content. So that's all about creating something really valuable and putting it on your website that your target audience is willing to provide their contact details for in exchange for the content. So it might be a great guide or ebook or, or something like that, that they have to fill out a form and give their name, their email address, their phone number, and their postal address or you can run competitions so offer some great giveaways where people have to provide their information in the entry form in order to enter the competition i also assume that you're adding everybody you do business with into your database and that you're directly asking them to go on there your database it's truly a massively powerful tool that is full of your target audience who have given you permission to speak to them use it wisely Marin Hales, a recruitment specialist at recruit to retail gave some great advice on how to recruit staff for a pharmacy in episode 41. Obviously, recruiters like yourself, you speak to candidates, those people that you were just mentioning, all the time. What do candidates tell you that they are looking for in a great place to work? When you say to them, what sort of role are you looking for?
5: Well, I've actually seen a really big change in that over the years. So, I've been doing retail recruitment for 12 years and certainly the expectations and demands of candidates have changed over that time. So, the key things that we're finding at the moment that are important to candidates are definitely the culture of a workplace. Um, So, that can stem into a couple of different areas from just, I guess, the vibe and the atmosphere within the business and that that team um, focused environment but then also candidates are looking for I guess um, other values and things within a culture that align really well with them. So um, what I am hearing a lot of these days are candidates are drawn to businesses that have even a mental health program and support for team members if they're going through a challenging time. Um, Also if a business is aligned Uh, perhaps with different charities, candidates are looking for that to make sure that that lines up with their values. Um, Candidates are also really attracted to further learning and education within the workplace, Uh, progression opportunities, and some candidates as well, whether they're returning to work or they're working mums, um, can be looking for a flexible workplace as well.
2: Episode 42, we heard about how community pharmacy responded to the bushfire emergency when Andrew Topp, Group Business Manager of Capital Chemist Group, joined us. It is amazing considering you just mentioned that pharmacies aren't generally part of emergency response planning. So they're kind of making it up as as they go and, and being part of the communities themselves as individuals, not just a business. And the the bushfire response involved a comprehensive effort by a variety of health professionals and and obviously emergency personnel. Can you talk us through some of the ways that pharmacists were able to and, and needed to collaborate with other health professionals to ensure optimal patient outcomes during the bushfire response?
6: Oh, absolutely. There's a couple of really good ones that stick out. Uh, I got a phone call as the as it was getting really, really difficult in Marimbula. I got a phone call from Linda Badowitz, a pharmacist down there, an old friend of mine. Uh, there was no masks for smoke and they were running out of ventolin and asmoles and there was no supplies getting through because the highway was blocked north and south. Uh, There's a Canberra doctor that we know that works part-time in Marimbula and that doctor was going down the Brown Mountain to get to Marimbula. Uh, We did a quick run around a few stores through some ventolins and some asmoles and masks at that doctor who then got them down to Canberra. Um, Interestingly Linda ended up getting a delivery by helicopter out of Bairnsdale I believe but we managed to get stuff there first uh, We had, I had a phone call from a doctor in Batemans Bay and I was quite amazed when that number flashed up because I haven't spoken to him for years and was surprised that he could actually get through he needed to know who was open because there was just no communications there was just no mobiles, no nothing so how did he phone me, I don't know but we could tell which stores were open through various WhatsApps and Facebook messengers and things like that uh, there was a doctor in Manyana, which is a little village north of Ulladulla. He was writing scripts for patients who were locked in by fire and then conveying them by phone, and then they were delivered by boat. We we dropped them to the harbour in Alladulla and took a boat round to Manyana. Um, and then in the fire area or without, um, pharmacists just working to find out what people's medications were, um, constant phone calls to doctors or My Health Record to look stuff up, And I know we also were working with the hospital pharmacists to make sure that stock was available at the most accessible place because the last thing a hospital needs to deal with in an emergency is relatively trivial things um, when they've got much more serious things like burns and that to deal with. So there was great cooperation there too.
2: Claire Bekema, pharmacist and COVID-19 response coordinator for the Pharmacy Guild of Australia, talked about, in episode 43, preparing your pharmacy for COVID-19 and how to respond to a suspected case. We've invited you on the show because community pharmacies, they're in the middle of every community and are one of many people's trusted medical resources that they can access fairly easily, most people. But right now, with the situation changing every day, even every hour, what can pharmacies do to prepare for the coronavirus and put themselves in the best possible position to manage All of this as best they can, not just from a a trusted community health service perspective, but also from their own internal business continuity perspective, because the two are intrinsically linked.
7: As you've said, things are changing at such a rapid pace. Um, we're constantly updating resources um, and up in our website with um, helpful links um, that as they're developed or shared with us. Um, pharmacies should really take it upon themselves to make sure that they keep up to date too with the advice that's, that's being um, given on a, <laughs> on a very, very regular basis. So we've developed a guide for community pharmacy um, around COVID-19 as a way of helping our, um, our members and pharmacies prepare. Um, so preparation is is the key in this in this situation and at this stage of of the outbreak. So the two key steps in preparing your pharmacy to best handle COVID-19, I suppose, are uh, step one: prepare your pharmacy premises, and also prepare your staff. In terms of preparing your pharmacy, um, I suppose we should always make sure that we're following normal infection control protocols um, at all times. But you may need to increase the frequency of cleaning, um, especially in the high touch zones such as counters and, and point of sale areas. Consider how you can promote social distancing in the pharmacy, such as creating clear aisles for patients to wait, or even we're hearing about people um, you know, asking customers to phone ahead um, and or wait in the cars and they can they can go out and deliver to the car. Um, we're just wanting to minimise the amount of people and the time that they spend in the pharmacy.
2: In episode 44, George Tambassis, the then National President of the Pharmacy Guild of Australia, Discuss some of the challenges facing community pharmacies as they continued to play a significant role in the healthcare response to COVID-19. We've already seen examples this year, a couple in fact, but are you able to elaborate on how events such as these, these crises, reflect the absolute versatility and importance of community pharmacy in the healthcare system? And I'm also interested in how the Guild engages with planning and policy stakeholders on behalf of community pharmacy to really highlight the importance of community pharmacy.
8: Well, COVID-19 and the bushfires earlier this year show community pharmacists and the staff are on the front line. It clearly shows that, providing care and support for their communities. So, And it's not just dispensing medicines. We hear many stories of pharmacists going over and above to ensure needs of their patients. So uh, there's been reports, for example, of pharmacists going, you know, getting medicines from helicopters during the bushfires and boats coming to the to the closest, you know, port of, of the town. That's been obviously, you know, marked up with the bushfire. There's been multiple examples of that. So that does actually make it easier for us when we go and talk to um, planning and policy stakeholders because we use those real life examples. It actually makes it easier for me personally to speak to the highest, you know, politicians, whether it's the health minister or the prime minister, when I can say to them something like, You know what, I'm actually taking this phone call in my dispensary. I've got people lined up for vaccines. I've got another another bloke that I can see that's asking me for a mask. I've got another guy down the road down yeah, you know, on the other side of the aisle saying I've got no hand sanitizer left. It's pretty easy to advocate on on behalf of your profession if you're in the sick of it. And these crises bring that to the to the fore. I mean it's as simple as that. COVID nineteen has done that, you know, easily. Bushfires definitely pushed us with all the smoke and issues that they were causing in our communities, well lonely um the fact that the fires were causing the safety issues and tried just trying to stay alive in those country towns. Now COVID nineteen is a real pandemic and there's a good chance that, you know, some of our staff and our and our patients get it and so you need to make sure you give really accurate information to stop patients and start getting it or at least be able to give them some some comfort in terms of how they're going to treat it if they do get it and what they need to do clear instructions of what they need to do it's a notifiable disease you've got to self isolate you've got to go get a COVID-19 test to make sure it's actually that particular virus it might be the common cold or just a silly cough you know so that's basically made it, you know, I know it's a horrible thing to say, but actually easier to advocate on behalf of community pharmacy because we're front line on these issues. And it's been it's been the case since the bushfires and it's certainly the case during the start of COVID-19. And COVID-19 doesn't seem like it's going to be a sprint. It's going to be more like a marathon than a sprint.
2: Chris Clark from Due Today is an expert in helping businesses identify digital opportunities and guiding them on their digital journey. And he joined us in episode 45. Some of the clinical advantages of adopting digital approaches include increased medicine adherence and remote monitoring. How can digital enablement and yourself at You Today fit into helping pharmacies start to facilitate those really, really important technologies?
9: Ultimately, it's about providing better healthcare uh, for the community uh, and pharmacies just play an absolutely central and pivotal role in it and have an opportunity to play an even more uh, pivotal role uh, for that, for sure. Uh, and so as part of what we're working on at uh, do today with uh, the Pharmacy Guild in implementing uh, the workshops and education programs is also pulling together a catalogue of all the different relevant uh, tools and uh, services that could be utilised by uh, pharmacies in this area uh, and also that could be recommended as well for um, individuals to utilise, uh, say, in the home. So, for example, where you're talking there about uh, medicine in- adherence, where there, where there might be services like a you know a pill pack for for being able to uh, take your pills and, and be uh, reminded about it, or or other sorts of things, um, so that you know all of those things add to ultimately to the simple objective of providing better healthcare, and and also can tie in to a smoother smoother journey for uh, the customers, obviously better better health outcomes for the customers, and then through both of those things, you know better and increased trust and loyalty and even uh, uh, smoother uh, processes for pharmacies
2: themselves too. Episode 46, Rebecca Young joined us. Rebecca is the owner of Capital Chemist Chisholm in the ACT and the pharmacy was the winner of the business management category and then named overall pharmacy of the year for 2020, proudly sponsored by principal sponsor Care Pharmaceuticals and sponsor QCPP. You said earlier that you'd added some consulting rooms to the pharmacy and that when you first arrived at the pharmacy, the professional services wasn't something that was offered. But clearly provision of health services and professional services is becoming a significant aspect of any pharmacy business and the future it will continue to be so. The pharmacy has made some significant investment in this area. What was it that prompted you to to take the steps into that transformation and tell us how it's been? What are some of the bumps? What have been some of the early successes? How has it been received by the patients?
3: So we identified the need in our community. Um, Our patients wanted uh, accessible uh, services So we always sort of started off with the basic ones like blood pressure checks, um, vaccinations, leave certificates um, and supported all the Guild 6 CPA programs, um, meds checks. We have also two pharmacists that are accredited pharmacists to provide home medication reviews. So we focused on doing those and doing them properly and all our team were trained and um, were able to do that most of the time for most of those services, no appointments were necessary. So I think it was about starting with the basics and getting those um, getting those right. Then we have a lot of um, diabetic patients um, in our local community um, and and some overweight patients as well. So we started off with the Imprimai, um weight loss program. We sort of got that up and running and then we – realised a lot of our patients had sleep apnea. So that became one of our, well, that has become our biggest health service. So we've um, built up that. Um, unfortunately, we can't provide that same service like we we um, were prior to COVID-19, but we are looking forward to getting hands-on with that again in the very near future, and we are still doing teleconferences, or teleconferences with that. Um, so... Our patients um, have been very receptive to the health services. They like that it's accessible. They know and trust us. Um, And we've worked um, with our allied health professionals to establish that trust. And so there's been two two way referrals from them because we don't want to be working against our local doctors. We want to be working with them. And so we've been in the community long enough that they respect us, they know us, and so they're happy for, to send patients to us. And we work with them when we get their reports, we send them to them. We're also doing more wing care now, we were. Um, and again, that'll be something else that we'll be expanding on um, once COVID-19 over. So. Our patients really appreciate us um, providing these services, um, especially over the last um, six weeks, being able to walk in, have a vaccination, flu vaccination without making an appointment. Um, They've been very grateful for, uh, for because some of the doctors' surgeries, they haven't been able to make appointments or go in, so they appreciate the convenience. We're also providing um, the National Immunisation Programme flu vaccination for the over 65 years. So a lot of these patients um, last year, because it was only a pilot program, weren't aware that pharmacists could provide the over 65 vaccine. And this year we've done hundreds of them and our patients are very grateful and they feel comfortable and safe coming into the pharmacy at the moment with all the extra hygiene measures uh, and triage desk that we've got happening So I think overall our health services have been very well received and we're all excited to get back into the consult rooms and spend more time one-on-one with our patients. And it establishes trust, um, loyalty, and they also then want to come back to us and they talk to their friends, they talk to their doctors and it just establishes um, us as a community health hub.
2: Helen Lowy, a registered pharmacist and counsellor, discussed mental health and workplace wellbeing in episode 47. I think that's some amazing advice and I can certainly see how that would really bring a team together and push some of the things that aren't going so well to the side a little bit we still have to deal with them but but really bring that positive things and the gratitude to the fore because it is no secret that community pharmacy is doing it tough at the moment but their performance and dedication under pressure is something that we as an industry have come to expect and admire and that the community relies on that what are some of the Strategies that pharmacies can start to implement to to maintain and improve and continue along that path of of good staff mental health and workplace well being in difficult times like this.
10: But we're all wired to connect, and I think it goes back to um, times when we valued the safety of a tribe. So our primitive brains still recognise as a safety of being connected to p- other people. And as I say, it goes back to a very primitive desire to to be safe. So if you're outside of a tribe, for example, you're more likely to starve or be eaten. So instinctively, we know that connection is important for our health and well-being. So maintaining positive, uplifting connections is really important at this time. And hopefully people are able to find that within their teams, but also reaching out to people in their social lives as well. And perhaps being considered about who they spend time with. We all know that there, there are people that drain us and there are people that uplift us. And be kind to yourself about making sure that you, you share time with people that you do feel positive and uplifted by. Uh, I think that's really important, um, and having some time at work where you can feel that you connect. And I've had lots of great ideas from some of the pharmacists about a lot of it seems to revolve around food. I have to say, so <laughs> people baking or bringing in a pizza or something like that and sharing uh, a meal time uh, is good. I've also heard pharmacists say that it's been really helpful to actually get outside the premises. especially if they've had a difficult interaction with a patient or a customer, stepping outside and taking a few deep breaths. uh, If they've got a nature strip nearby, you know, a few trees where they can walk amongst nature, that that also helps their mind to just get into a completely different space and let go. Um, I think self-compassion is important. And I, I know that pharmacists can tend to almost be martyrs in that they'll work themselves into the ground for the benefit of their customers and patients and I think now is a really important time to remember that you can't pour from an empty cup and that you need to look after yourself at this time and be compassionate to yourself so acknowledge that it's normal to feel fearful uh it's uh, normal to feel a little bit uh, uncertain or grief and loss when things have changed And so accepting that things are going to change from one day to the next can be um, a a way of being kind to yourself. Um, I've also talked in some of the webinars I've done about mindful handwashing. So handwashing is something that all of us need to do at the moment to keep ourselves and each other safe. And so what I've said is that take 20 seconds to wash your hands, but you can use that 20 seconds to actually press pause on panic. So use it to take five breaths in, to hold for five seconds and to breathe out for five seconds and to pause for five seconds. And by doing that, what's called square breathing, you can actually lower your heart rate and your blood pressure and bring your brain into a space where it's gone from panic brain to, to a place where it's more able to do problem solving and thinking. So that's, that's a practical tip. Uh, and I've heard some pharmacists say that, yes, they've gone ahead and practiced that already from the, from the webinar. Um, the prayer of serenity is something that I often reflect on at times like this. And what I mean by that is that reflecting on there are some things that we can change and there are some things that we can't change. And it's important to have the wisdom to understand what the difference is. you focus on the things that you can't change you're more likely to feel frustrated and anxious but if you focus on the things that you can change and there are still quite a lot of things within our control then we can feel a little bit more empowered um, and we can start making steps to improve our home situations our work situations so make a list of the things that you can control and start slowly working through that list and it will gradually take you forward Um, and finally um Eat, play, sleep. It sounds like i um, preaching with the converted, probably. <laughs> it's stating the obvious, I know, but uh, it's amazing how much difference it can make. So as I said, you know, wine and chocolate might be very enticing at times of stress, but um, if we eat well, um, it helps give our, our bodies the right level of fuel. And as I said, our brains are working really hard at the moment in terms of problem solving and, and keeping us in a place where we can regulate our emotions. So uh, you mentioned earlier about leadership. It's really important that we can stay calm uh, and not have a short, snappy response with each other because that just sends other people into a space where they're not feeling safe. But eating well gives good brain fuel. It boosts your immune system and uh, it gives you the fuel that you need to get through the day. By play, what I mean is have some exercise. We talked earlier about maybe going out in nature. If you do a brisk walk, it's also more likely to get your endorphins up and reduce stress levels. Uh, we also know that our brains work better for the first hour after a walk. So it helps us in lots of ways to manage stress and um, sleep as well. Uh, and again, I think we, we know sleep is really important, especially when we don't get it. Um, so... <laughs> You know, you get those times sometimes when people are feeling stressed that so might be more prone to waking up at, say, 3 or 4 in the morning and do the problem-solving then, which obviously impacts your ability to be resilient during the daytime. But if you can get good sleep, um, it's very nurturing for your body. And when we learn, we tend to replay the things that we've done in our minds at, at night time. And when we have REM sleep, that's when we tend to prioritize the things that we need to work on and deep sleep, as I say, that's a really nourishing, restorative part of our sleep. So um, by making sure we pay attention to eat, play, sleep, that can help our resilience. And as some people have described it, this is a marathon, not a sprint. So we need to pace ourselves and look after ourselves to make sure that we, we can be sustainable beings and uh, be
2: resilient. In episode 48, Guy Leach discussed his own experiences which led him to establish Heart 180, a group on a mission to give all Australians access to a life-saving defibrillator within 180 seconds of an emergency occurring. Outstanding. Now, Guy, community pharmacies play a vital role in maintaining optimal community health and well-being across all the factors with an increased exposure to people that would be at risk, so at-risk patients in their community coming in and in interacting in a community pharmacy. How important do you think it is for community pharmacies to get involved not only in in becoming equipped to deal with these types of emergencies, but also the role that they can play in actually helping raise the broader awareness of the problem.
11: Well, I'm excited to say that we're we're you know we're in in discussions right now to with pharmacies across you know the whole idea is to have pharmacists across the whole country to have d be trained up. I mean they're trained anyway, the pharmacists, but get them specifically trained up to to our devices and. And, and have a second line of defense out there beyond doctors, um, beyond on the Ambos and the hospitals to to save lives. And you know, and when you're talking about a spread of pharmacists across this whole country and and, and just the dots that you make up across this vast land, um, for the general public to know that there's a DFIB potentially in every chemist in Australia, with an army of pharmacists that can act under pressure um, you know that that's a you know something that for me could make a significant difference to that survival rate of only being six percent in the community so you know you know i'm you know i'm working hard at the moment to to make that a reality and i think that it it makes so much sense you know the community if they knew of that and that was a reality the first thing they would think was well that makes sense why wouldn't a pharmacist have a defib? Yeah, I mean, I trust them, right? They deal in wellness and health and safety. And, you know, they're there in our suburb. And if something went wrong, I know where to go and I can get a defib there and, and they and they could save a life. So for me, it, it makes all the sense in the world. And for me to get to that mission statement of at 180 seconds, um, having an Aussie, you know, be able to have a defib um, close by if there's a sudden cardiac arrest, Mate, it, that goes a long way to um, to making that that mission statement uh, come
2: true. Jason Bratuskin's product manager at Fred IT Group and a pharmacy owner who is supporting the rollout of e-prescribing joined us in episode 49. Now, Jason, I understand that you've actually already been utilising and testing e-prescriptions at your Anglesey pharmacy in Victoria. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience and how it has benefited your interaction not only with your patients but with the wider health network and the prescribers? Yeah, we've been lucky enough to have our local doctor's clinic start
12: producing e-prescription tokens for some patients. Patients have really liked the concept and they almost expect that this is the next natural step for how they handle their prescriptions. The doctors have been enthusiastic and they've really embraced the trial, providing the e-prescription tokens for those patients that really want to participate. And yes, it's not for everyone, but they can still print a traditional paper prescription. At the pharmacy, we've now seen how these tokens are presented and have experimented with how to take in those e-prescriptions using Medview Flow, using different combinations of hardware and scanners. So we've mucked around with flatbed scanners, we've mucked around with wireless scanners, we've mucked around with iPads and various um, handheld devices to see how they all um, behave and and what we can cope with. In the dispensary, we've been using Frednex Dispense combined with Flow to see how it can help us manage not only incoming e-prescriptions, but paper prescriptions as well. It is a little strange to dispense a prescription without paper for the first time, but once you've done it a few times, it becomes part of your normal process. And it is great not, in, not having to handle a repeat or to have to, or, or have to stick any claim or duplicate um, stickers on paper.
2: And finally, for part one of our best bits of 2020, we look back at episode 50 when Elise Weedham from Wizard Pharmacy Kalgoorlie Central, winner of the Guild Pharmacy of the Year 2020 Professional Innovation category, proudly sponsored by Care Pharmaceuticals and the Quality Care Pharmacy Program, joined us to chat about her pharmacy's journey. We often hear the phrase that change is, is constant, yet with that, as you rightly said, comes opportunity, but innovation in community pharmacy can sometimes mean moving away from traditional methods of service, those things that pharmacists are comfortable with and have been doing for a long time, and moving to adopting technology that both staff and the patients may never have experienced before. As a pharmacist, how do you start to identify these opportunities and and map out your strategic journey from the old model and, and ways of doing things to a new way of operating?
1: Well, I think that you've actually got to listen to your customers, your staff and other allied health professionals in your area to find out where the gaps are. So in Kagooli about six years ago, before children, <laughs> when I had time, we I noticed that there were a lot of people that were coming in asking about sleep apnea. And so we started to arrange a few different products, but then we decided to, because get a little bit too big for one person to manage. We actually partnered with Air Liquide so that we could grow really quickly in that area and and get the, the help we needed with training and also testing facilities and able to get stock. So And that's actually worked really, really well for us. So it's looking at, at where there are holes in the market and then seeing if you've got the, the staff and the ability to be able to fill that hole.
2: And That's a wrap for volume four of the best bits of the PBCM podcast, which is part one of our two-part look back at 2020. I've been your host, Daniel Oyston, and it's been fantastic having you join me to revisit some of the amazing stories, experiences, insights, journeys, and advice from our guests. And once again, thank you to everyone who came on the show for these episodes. I know we are all truly grateful that they found some time in their busy schedules to come on the show and share with us. The Guild is dedicated to supporting members and the Community Pharmacy Network with tools, resources, and information to assist business and career growth and improvement. For more information, contact your local Guild branch and visit the Guild website at guild.org.au. I look forward to you joining us for Volume 5 of the Best Bits of the PBCM Podcast, which will be Part 2 of our look back at 2020. You've been listening to Episode 64 of the PBCM Podcast
1: the PBCN podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way. For more resources, to access support
3: or advice, or to view this episode's show notes, visit guild.org.au.